plan today, I'm going to be reading Second Peter 2, 1-10. to It's going to be on the screen behind me. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon a world of ungodly, of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as a righteous man lived among them day by day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to keep the righteous under punishment, the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas the angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them, but before the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Emily. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, We are in our second week of a three-part series in 2 Peter, as Emily has uh, shared with you. But what I want to do before we come to the, this text today, because it's quite a weighty text, it's quite a, a solemn text, uh, and I hope you got all your giggles out when Marcus was speaking, because there's not many coming. Uh, but uh, let's just take a moment just to pray that the Spirit would move, the Spirit would do what the Spirit promises to do with His Word, and, and speak to our hearts. So let's just pray. Father, these are weighty words that you've given us. They are a warning to us. And so let's listen. Father, I pray that we would listen. I pray that our eyes would be opened, that our hearts would be enlightened, and you would share your truth with us today. Father, I pray that you would speak through your word in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I am not sure many of you or any of you, I'm sure there are some, are familiar with the Hans Christian Andersen story of the Emperor's New Clothes. Would anybody know that story? The Emperor's New Clothes? Oh, brilliant. Good work. Right. We have some adults you need to catch up. Some of the children know you don't. You need to catch up. So here's the gist of the story of the Emperor's New Clothes. The Emperor loved clothes. He spent all his time, all his energy, all his resources on new clothes. Two swindlers who heard about this came to the area. They arrived in the city of the emperor who spends all his wealth and all his resources on new clothes. And posing as weavers, they offer to supply the emperor with magnificent new clothes that are invisible 
to those who are stupid or incompetent. The emperor says, yes, please. If you could make me these clothes, that would be wonderful. And so the emperor puts his resources and his, his workers to, to build this loom for these clothes that are invisible to the stupid or the incompetent. And over a period of time, these two swindlers get to work. And over a period of time, uh, some, oh, some of the emperor's officials, they come and they look at the, at the looms that have been set up, and they go and inspect the work that is taking place. Now, the reality is, of course, that the looms are empty. There's nothing in them. But rather being thought a fool or stupid or incompetent, the officials say, the work looks wonderful. Those clothes are coming on so well. After a period of time, the emperor's clothes are finished. The emperor comes in to the to the looms, and, and, and the two swindlers present him with his clothes. And rather than thought be thought stupid or incompetent, the emperor goes along with it. Those clothes are magnificent. And so what the two swindlers do is dress the emperor in his new clothes. And so the emperor strips down, and the two swindlers put his new clothes on him. There are no clothes. But rather be thought a fool, or rather be thought stupid, or rather be incompetent, the emperor goes along with it, and everyone else goes along with it as well. And so what they do, and the emperor is buzzing about these new clothes, what he says is he's going to have a parade through the town. And so he parades through the town in his new clothes. And everyone at the side of the road, rather than be thought stupid or incompetent, applaud the emperor on his new clothes and say, look how magnificent are the emperor's new clothes. Until one child pipes up and says, he's not wearing any clothes. They hush the child. They say, no child, don't be stupid. You must be stupid or incompetent or you just can't see. The emperor's clothes are magnificent. And there the emperor proceeds on walking more proudly than ever through the streets rather than call it out for what it is, a total sham. Second Peter chapter 2 is a warning against false teachers. It's a warning to the church to be on your guard against false teachers. It's a warning to the church to actually not just be on your guard against false teachers, but to call them out. But sometimes what can happen in the church is we can be like those in the story of the emperor's new clothes. We would rather just bury our heads in the sand. We would rather just ignore what's happening because we don't want to confront the reality or the truth. You see, when it comes to false teaching... As I say, sometimes we would just rather pretend it doesn't happen. Pretend it's not happening, like it's not there. Pretend and just concentrate on the good. I, I've literally heard it said. Sure, they're over there, and this, this, people talking about false teachers, they're over there doing their thing. We're over here doing our thing. What harm could possibly come? Just ignore them and let them get on with what they're doing. We'll get on with what we're doing, and what harm could ever come? 
The unfortunate thing about that is that is not what the Bible says and not what Peter says. It's not what the Bible says and it's definitely not what Peter says. They would say the very opposite. So Peter here is saying that there will be false teachers. He's unequivocal about that. He's saying there were false teachers rose up in the Old Testament alongside the prophets. And he said to the first century church here, there will be false teachers rise up among you. And he says to us, like we said last week, the then and there and the here and now, Peter is saying to us today, there will be false teachers in the church. There will be. You can guarantee that. That is a fact. And so if that's the case, if that's the case, like we don't want to be like the people in the emperor's new clothes. We don't want to be like those who just walk around and ignore the fact that it's happening. We want to be able to see it and we want to be able to identify it. And if need be, we need to call it out. How do we do so? What are we looking for? Well, Peter gives us the answers in this passage. What do we need to look for so that we can spot them? And the first thing that we need to look for clearly is their message. False teachers have a message. Peter says here, one Peter says, they bring in destructive heresies. Destructive heresies. Now, why does he say that? Why does Peter say destructive heresies? Why not just go with heresies? Because surely all heresy is destructive. Why not just say heresy? Well, the definition of the word heresy that we have comes from the original Greek, obviously. But the, defini- the definition that we have of heresy has taken on a slightly technical definition in the fact that when we say heresy in our day and age, we know that means error, extreme error. We know that. If you say, if you, now, to be fair, the word heretic, heresy, is banded about way too much. Uh, but if we say something's a heresy, we know that to be inerrant. We know it to be evil. We know it to be false. That was not the case in Peter's day. When Peter would have said heresy, what he would have said was just something off the norm. Just some sort of idea that wasn't normal. That's what what Peter would have said. So here he says, destructive heresy. That's what he says. He puts it in front of it. He wants to make it clear. What these false teachers do is bring in destructive heresies. Now, that's the issue with their message. Their message is destructive. The concern here is that these heresies that have been brought in secretly are like a corrosion to the very foundations of your faith. Let me use an example. If you have Uh, a water supply that is flowing into the foundations of your house over time, what will happen? The foundations will what? They will corrode over time. And what Peter is saying here, and the house will fall, and what Peter is saying here is that these heresies that have been brought into the church are like that. They are corrosive. They are destructive. And if they keep on going, and if you keep on listening to them, and they keep on pervading your life, they will erode the very foundations of your faith. He knew that this constant stream of corrosive, uh, destructive teaching 
would have dire consequences. Now, let me ask you a question. If you found out that you had this stream of corrosiveness flowing underneath your house, what would you do? Would you think it's urgent? Yes. You would think it's urgent. You would want to stop it. You would want to get it sorted out as quickly as possible because you knew the consequences were coming down the road. And it is the same with false teaching. These things are urgent and we cannot ignore them. They need to be dealt with or they will have dire consequences in the life of people. And Peter says here the reality is there was false teachers in the Old Testament, there will be false teachers in the first century, and there will be false teachers in the church today. There will be false teachers in the church today. And I don't know why you want to believe that or believe that, but it's true. Let me give you an example, a real-life, real-time example. I was listening to someone lately, and this person was teaching on the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, right? And this person, this is what was said. Now I want you to try and spot what's wrong. This is what was said. What was said was at the point of regeneration, when they received the Holy Spirit, that wasn't enough for what God had for them next. Now, that, I could say that flippantly in a, in a sermon, on a throwaway comment. But there are serious issues with that comment. Just last week, we, we, we saw the serious issues that, that there are with that comment. What did, what did Peter tell us last week that God has given us for all things or that pertain to life and godliness? What, what is it? All things. God has been gracious to us and given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so when I stand up or when whoever stands up and says, listen, at the point of regeneration, God, through the, the regenerational work of the Holy Spirit, has not given me enough for what God had for me next. Can you see what is wrong with that statement? It is a heretical statement in this. It undermines the work of Christ. It undermines the work of Christ. It makes the work of Christ insufficient. It does a couple of things, though. What it does is that it sounds great. It sounds great because this is what it does. It makes the teacher sound as if they are the one with the secret. I've got it sussed. If you want what I have, then you need this. And it elevates the teacher. We'll see in a moment or two that that is part of the, part of the, the, the remit of false teachers. It elevates the teacher. But what, quite frankly, it does is make more, mere mortals like the rest of us feel inadequate. Like you're the one that doesn't have the secret. Like you're the one that's coming up short. Like you're the one that is failing in your Christian walk. But ultimately it denies Jesus. 
It denies the fact that his sacrifice, his rising, his ascension, his sending the third person of the Holy Spirit wasn't enough. And it's just false. It denies Christ, and if left unchecked, will wear away at the foundations of a brother or sister's faith. That's the reality. And let me say this plainly before we move on to the next point. It doesn't matter what else you believe. It doesn't matter how faithful you are to other bits of the text. If you don't believe that Jesus is the eternal God who came, who was God and man, two distinct natures and person forever, who, be, who obeyed the Father, who bled and died and rose again and sent the third person of the Holy Spirit that we might know him. If you don't believe that, the rest of it falls down. The rest of it falls down. It does, as Peter says here, it denies the very master. So that's the reality. There will be false teaching. And it's their message is the first thing that we need to look for. It will be destructive. The second thing uh, that we need to look for, and we see it in this text here, Peter gives us a heads up about what to look for, is, is the method in which these false teachings, these heresies come into the church. They come in secretly. They secretly bring in these destructive heresies in verse 3. Verse 3 tells us, in their greed, they exploited their hearers with false words. And you see, this is one of the things about heresy that we need to know. This is one of the things about false teachers that we need to know, is that no one ever comes up, like, it'd be like me being a false teacher. No one ever comes up and goes like, you know what? Going to be false teaching today. Get on board to the heresy train. Not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. It's secretly brought into the church, under the radar, so that, so that it's almost indistinguishable. Instead, it's subtly brought in. It's often it looks plausible, and that's what I say. Some of it sounds so good and sounds so right. Like these sound bites of like wisdom. The only problem is they're heretical. And this is where Charles Spurgeon's quote, so if they're brought in secretly and under the radar, this is where Charles Spurgeon's quote on, on uh, discernment comes into its own. Spurgeon said this about discernment. It is, no, is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. You see, we live in a time, and again, I, I continually just, I think it must have been my holiday. I, I feel as if I'm coming back and I'm sounding older every week, genuinely. But I'm going to sound old again. We live in a time when we have excellent Bible teaching at our fingertips. At our fingertips. You can listen excellent Bible teaching 24-7 if you want to. That being the case, the opposite is also true. 
You can listen rubbish 24-7 if you want to. And so what do we need to navigate that minefield of information? Because that's what it is. It's a minefield. Like, on your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed or wherever feed you're, you're on, when was the last time one of the preachers that you listened to on, on that feed, because no doubt they'll be filled with that, when was the last time one of them just give you a heads up before we start here on this sermon today, this is going to be destructive heresy. We need discernment. It's brought in secretly. And part of that discernment, folks, certainly the Holy Spirit can give you discernment, but part of that discernment process comes when you're placed in a local church under the authority of local elders in a body of local believers. Part of that discernment is that. It is your local elders under the shepherding of your local elders who can hopefully point you to what is not good and what is good. I can't remember the last time can't remember the last time I had a conversation with someone and they asked me, should I be listening to X, Y, or Z? Can't remember the last time that happened. And I'm sure I could ask Ali and I'm sure I could ask Marcus the same question. I don't know when we had that conversation. We should be having those conversations all the time. Because if you're a member here in Cornerstone Church, you are under the authority and under the shepherding of your local elders who are placed over you in love and in care to shepherd your soul. And so it matters to us what you're listening to. It matters to us what is going in. It matters to us what destructive stuff that you're listening to that could harm you. We love you. And we want to protect you and protect your souls. And so what I'm going to say is this. Please ask. Please ask. If you're listening to something and you're not sure, you don't know, hopefully we'll be able to help. And we can, I could point you, I could, you could come to me today and I could point you to 10 great Bible teachers who you could fill your time with. But please ask. Please ask. Their method is secretively under the radar. So the message is destructive. The method is under the radar. And thirdly, you will know them by their morals. One of the best ways to, false, or to, to spot false teaching is not only to look at the content of what they, what they preach or teach, not only to look at the method that is brought in, but also look at their lives. By their fruit you will know them. And this is one of the things about, this is one of the dangers again about, about listening stuff online. You, you, you don't know the person you're listening to. 
You don't know them. Hopefully you know me. Hopefully you know Ali. Hopefully you know Marcus. You can look at our lives. You can examine our lives and see what happens. But these false teachers, their morals, their lives don't match up often with what they teach. It doesn't match what Scripture would say is a godly life. Let me, let me give you some things here. Peter, in this particular instance, says that false teachers through greed exploit the listeners with false words. Let me give you a couple of qualifications for elders and deacons. Qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. What does it say about greed? It says that elders are not to be lovers of money. Not greedy. It says that deacons are not to be greedy for dishonest gain. Do you see the pattern here? And you see the, the distinguishing mark of the morals of a false teacher. The distinguishing mark of the morals of the false teacher is that they will exploit their listeners for gain. The elders in the local church, the deacons in the local church are not to be greedy for dishonest gain, not to be lovers of money. Those who lead the church are not, as these false teachers are doing, manipulating people for their own benefit. One of the examples here in this passage is verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Bor, who loved, who, who, who loved gain from wrongdoing. If you can look at the lives of your elders and say that they love gain from wrongdoing, or they're lovers of money, they shouldn't be elders. I would go as far as to say, if some of the people you're listening to online, if you dug a little bit deeper, you would soon find that they are lovers of money. You need to be so careful. So careful. So, those are three ways to spot heretical false teachers. Their message is destructive. Their method is secretive. And their morals don't match a godly lifestyle. But what does Peter say is going to happen to them? This is the scary part. If you thought the rest of it wasn't scary. This is the scary part. Destruction is promised. Destruction is promised. Peter says this, false teachers will bring upon themselves swift destruction. The end of verse 3, he says, their condemnation is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. It's like he uses these two things as agents in their own. Their condemnation is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Folks, God takes sin seriously. God takes the, the destructive teaching in his church seriously. Look at the examples given in this passage. Angels who rebelled against God, where are they? Being held captive until the day of judgment. Look at the people of the day of Noah. What happened to them? Destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah wiped out. God does not let sin go unpunished. 
he hates sin. And he hates the sin of heresy. And he hates the sin of false teaching. And if he hates it, those of us who claim to follow Christ should hate it also. We should hate it. Now, all that seems very weighty and very solemn. You agree? Yes, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you're glad you come to the 9.30 rather than the 11.30 because you're going to be going home to your dinner after listening to this. But anyway, it all seems very weighty and very solemn. And it is. Trust me, it is. And I don't want to, to take that off. We need to feel that. We need to feel the weight of that. But nestled away in these verses is really, really good news. Nestled away in these verses is really, really good news. Let me just read it to you. Second Peter 2, 7 to 10. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawlessness, their lawless deeds, and he saw and heard. And here's the good news. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Is that not good news? That is good news because why? Because we're godly? No. But because we have one who stands in our place who is perfectly godly, Christ Jesus. That's how he knows how to rescue us. Now that's good news. We can, we can look at all of this. We can, we can see how there's false teaching in the church and we can condemn it and we should condemn it and we can feel the weight of it. But in here, there's this nugget, this nugget of gold that just tells me that the God that we serve knows how to rescue us. And it is through Christ Jesus. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Praise God, He does. And so, as we finish today, I want us to think about these things. I sort of felt sorry for Marcus, to be honest. Done a great job. Felt sorry for him all week. Because when I did this series in Second Peter, I knew Second Peter two was coming. Uh, it was tough. Uh, next three will be, next we'll be at the football club. Next week we'll be all happy. All right, I promise. Next week gonna be happy, sir. All right. But I want us to think about these things. You, as an elder, that's all I am, an elder. As an elder, and Ali Marcus, we love the church. We want to protect you. We want to care for your souls. We want you to be feeding yourself with things and stuff that's good. And so think about these things. Think about what you're listening to. And know that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Let me pray for us. And then we'll worship and take communion together. Father, Just as we think about these things, these false teachings, heresy, what it looks like, what, it's, what it is, what it isn't. 
Father, I do pray for a genuine spirit of discernment amongst this church. This church. I pray that we just wouldn't listen to stuff and accept it for, for what it sounds, if it sounds good. But test it against your word and against what your spirit is saying through your word. And thank you, Lord, that you have placed us in a body, in a local church, with brothers and sisters in Christ who love us. And Father, I pray that we would care for, for, care for each other enough to be able to say, stop listening to that rubbish. Father, we thank you for Jesus and your plan because you know how to rescue the young, the godly. Thank you, thank you. It's his beautiful name I pray. Amen. So we come to communion, worship, communion, what we're doing. Uh, you will know this if you've been here before. You will know that what we're doing now is celebrating, remembering Jesus and that plan that God put in place because he knows how to rescue us. Uh, and we just take a moment uh, during our last three songs to, to come before Jesus and thank him. Remember his body broken. Remember his bloodshed. So if you're a follower of Christ, please take communion with us. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Come to Jesus in faith and take communion. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, I lovingly ask that you don't take communion. We read in Scripture, it wouldn't make sense for you to do that. Uh, you're proclaiming something that you don't believe in, and so it doesn't make sense. Uh, but, but just let's come now. Let's worship King Jesus and give thanks for the plan that he has given us.